Hi, and welcome to my Independence Report. With this podcast, I have the freedom to say what's in my heart and create anything I want. So, I'm going to present new ideas, thoughts, and comments on past and current events, stories from my job, a view from the seat, as well as the best of, episodes of the various shows and interviews I've done in the past, and even stories about life between lies called Death Isn't Real. With that all said, we might as well get started, and oh, by the way, thanks for giving us a shot. And welcome to the show, everybody. My name is Kevin McDonald, and this is My Independence Report. Today, I'm bringing you a very special presentation. This is from the archives of The Kevin McDonald Show from KLAY in Tacoma. And uh, Suzanne Kincaid and myself had the opportunity to interview Neil Donald Walsh. If you're not familiar with who Neil is, he is an author, a spiritual seeker, and as he shall explain, a very flawed individual. He wrote Conversations with God, 1, 2, and 3, The New Revelations, and some other books, including the one we're going to talk about today, which is called Tomorrow's God. And um, if you're curious to know Conversations with God, are you saying that he talks to God? Yeah, I am. That's what he says, and this is uh, how it came to be. One night in the late 90s, he was sitting down having a particularly bad day, he was having family troubles, and he had had troubles in his life. He'd been homeless at one point. He'd gone from on top to the bottom and back up again. And so he was sitting down with a legal pad and paper or and pencil, and he started writing, and he said, what does it take to make this life work? And suddenly in his head came the response, do you really want answers to that question or are you just venting? That was the beginning of Conversations with God. I highly recommend that you read that book. Whether you believe that he is actually talking to the divine or not, I believe that we all have the opportunity to talk to the divine and we can talk to God anytime we want. A lot of times we pray, but we don't listen. We don't listen to what we're being told. So Neil is going to talk a lot about that, and he talks about the future of mankind as he sees it. It is a fascinating episode, and I hope that you'll enjoy it, as well as the other offerings that we have on this site. The other offerings being past shows that I've done, some wonderful interviews with people, some funny stuff, as well as um, a view from the seat my time as a bus driver, and all the things that go along with that, as well as my core belief, which is death isn't real. I hope you'll enjoy all of these episodes and come back often and tell your friends. And with that, here is Neil Donald Walsh, Suzanne Kincaid, and myself talking about Tomorrow's God. I want to talk to Suzanne just a minute about, about Neil Donald Walsh who we're going to have on the phone in just a moment. Um, you have known Neil and his work for a, a long time. Tell us a little bit, in encapsulate Neil Donald Walsh for us, would you? Oh, my goodness. He's an amazing individual. Um, well, he just uh, was very frustrated by life, had a very serious conversation with God. It went from there uh, on to uh, probably, I don't know, 14 or 15 books, the most profound things I've ever read in my life. Uh, they just, uh, I can't imagine any... Uh, religion not seeing the beauty and power in these messages. 
and um, he also has a Books for Friends program, so he's just amazing. I'm, I'm really excited about having him on. He's going to talk about his current book, which is called Tomorrow's God. He has several books. You know, the Conversation with God books is a trilogy, three series, and then there's Friendship with God and Communion with God. There's several of them. Uh, this current book is called Tomorrow's God. He has an upcoming book called What God Wants, and he's also going to be talking about his Books for Friends programs, and that's where uh, we donate books to prisons, to prisoners, so that they can hopefully turn their lives around. I'm you know, really honored to be a part of that. I'm going to be taking care of the fulfillment for that, and um, it's very exciting. And um, we, we just get testimonies all the time of complete turnarounds of people whose lives have been a mess, They've landed in prison, and they've totally turned their life around and become wonderful, productive members of society again. It's beautiful. Well, Neil is on a mission, and he's, he has done a lot of great work since the early 90s, middle 90s, when the books came out and started to come out. He continues to do it today. We are going to have him on the phone in just a moment. We need to take a break first, and when we come back, we will be talking with Neil Donald Walsh, author of Conversations with God, as well as many others. Stay with us. We'll be right here in just a moment. Next month. We'll come back. Thanks. And welcome back to the Kevin McDonald Show right here on KLAY, 1180 AM in Tacoma. And it's my distinct pleasure to welcome to the show today a gentleman who has, a, has had a profound impact on my life. And uh, I've had the opportunity to meet him. He's a gracious individual. His writings are nothing short of, of miraculous, in my opinion. And, uh, and I, without further ado, Neil Donald Walsh, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Well, I'm just fine, Kevin. I don't know. I don't know what to do after an introduction like that. I feel very humbled, and I, I only hope that my life could uh, somehow live up to those words. Oh, I, I think that one of the things that I've learned in through my life is that there are some great people in the world, but but the reality is we're all human. That's certainly true. I don't have to go very far <laughs> to find evidence of that. I just look in the mirror. <laughs> but that's what makes it a fun ride, don't you think? I think so. I think if we get too serious about it and make ourselves wrong for our own humanity, uh, then we start really having very, very deep problems. And I think that's part of the problem in the world today, is that we're just not giving ourselves, and much less each other, a break here. I agree. Right. I agree. One of, one of the things that... Uh, um, I've always wanted to ask you is that now you've written, you know, conversations with God and you've, and you've talked with God and, uh, and well, we all have, we all have. Yes. But you, you actually, uh, wrote it down and put it out in front of folks. So, so you would think that people expect you to either walk on water or, you know, if we run out of wine at the wedding that you can maybe help with that sort of thing. And I do run, I do run into a little bit of that, Kevin, uh, <laughs> It, it shows up in very subtle ways sometimes. There's just a nuance that stands behind most people's interactions with me. And there is part of them, I think, that needs me to show up in life in a particular way. And when I show up in any way other than that way, there is also a tinge of disappointment over there. And so my biggest struggle is to uh, not just to remain human, but to have it be okay with others that I'm remaining human. And that that's a, that's a big deal. Now let's talk about now we before you came on the air we talked and gave the audience a little uh, preview of what we were going to talk about today and about your your life work. So we want to focus on first of all tomorrow's God. Let's talk about the book that you have out now. 
Well, you know, Kevin, th this is an extraordinary uh, uh, piece of writing, and I, I can say that because uh, it isn't really, again, it's not really something that I feel that I produce unilaterally, but something that, if I could put it this way, came through me. I'd like to contextualize that, if I could, just in a moment here. You know, there, there, I, I think that if, if Michelangelo took, uh, not that I compare myself with him in, on an artistic level, but just to use an example, if, if Michelangelo took credit for, for the Sistine Chapel, I think that he would really be... Uh, stepping aside from and failing to notice the part of the process that makes his genius possible. And the same thing with Mozart and his music or Thomas Jefferson and his ability to write the Declaration of Independence in three days, uh, a, a document that has stood the test of time and stood up as a model for all the world. And in those wonderful moments of, of uh, inspiration, that's what I call them, what happens there is that the, the universe itself, all the wisdom of the ages flows through people and comes out of them as part of their work in the world in the ways that are complemented by their own particular talents, in Michelangelo's case, Mozart, Jefferson, whoever. So uh, just as a brief just brief 90-second contextualization here of what we're talking about, Tomorrow's God is a book that really I can say uh, and I can say fairly, it's an extraordinary piece of literature because I have a very direct uh, experience that I didn't have that much to do with its writing, that I just kind of allowed myself to move with the inspiration that I was receiving from the universe and get it down as quickly as I could. Having said that, uh, the, the book stands uh, on its own merit as an extraordinary insight into our near and as well as our, our long-term future on this planet with regard to the way we will express ourselves spiritually. Tomorrow's God makes a flat-out prediction, and it says in no uncertain terms that in the next 20, 25 to 30 years, we will be, cre we meaning humanity, humanity will be creating a new God uh, on the earth. That is, we will recreate that aspect of our life that we call uh, religion or spirituality and uh, we will come up with yet another way, perhaps the best way ever, to honor the impulse toward the divine that exists in all human beings without making each other wrong for the way in which we are each doing it and, and without any judgment or condemnation of those who don't do it the way we're doing it. And tomorrow's God uh, points to the fact that uh, the biggest problem in the world today uh, is uh, exclusivist organized religion. You know, uh, I don't know whether you're aware of it, but, but just a few weeks ago, the Harris Poll people came out with a survey uh, of Americans and the of American attitudes about uh, life in the 21st century, and 70% of the, which is an extraordinarily high number, mm -hmm. of the respondents in that Harris Poll said that the biggest obstacle to peace in the world today is religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that I think that, that I think that the American people are right on about that. I don't think that there's any question that that is in fact what's true. Humanity and the uh, conflicts that occur within humanity's experience, uh, those things are being driven by our most uh, deeply held and our most sacred individual beliefs about God, about life, and about each other. And those beliefs, in fact, are killing us. And so tomorrow's God points about uh, points to all of that, talks about all of that, and says that unless we create a new way to express the part of us which is spiritual, uh, we're going to see the end of civilization as we know it. We're not, the planet isn't going to evaporate and people aren't going to die 
you know, in some wholesale way where there's no more earth. But what we are saying is, and what the book does say, is that our way of life, life as we know it on this planet, uh, as we are now living it, will be a, a thing of the past. In fact, what's sad to notice is that it already is becoming that. Day by day, we see the slow but sure erosion of the way of life that was so familiar to ourselves in our younger days and to our parents. Nothing today is the way it was in the 40s and 50s and 60s, uh, and very little is the way that it was even in the 70s and 80s in terms of the ways we can interact on a daily basis with each other. Whoever would have thought we would have to walk through a metal detector to get into a synagogue or a temple or a church or a school, for heaven's sake, or a department store, whoever thought that we would have to take off virtually every piece of clothing that's on our body in order to get onto an airplane. Yes. Whoever would have thought and, and, and that these kinds of things would occur in our lives, that we would not be able to just go out to the, to the creek back, back behind the house uh, and jump in and take a summer swim without worrying about being, uh, uh, having our systems destroyed by pollutants. Who, who would have thought that life would turn out the way it is turning out? And, but these changes are so slow. And whoever, who would have ever thought? Uh, I, I don't want to get it too deep into politics here, but who would have ever thought that the United States of America would strike first and ask questions later right. and, and, and call it perfectly morally justifiable that preemptive strike is, is, was, it, was, it, was an appropriate thing for us to do. I, when I, back in 1949, back in 1953, back in 1957, when I was a, a boy, it never would have occurred to me that the United States of America would be the first one to attack because the person across the way looked as if they might do something uh, to us. So uh, I, I have to say that uh, we are living already in a surrealistic world that's so surreal, so out of touch with how things used to be that we almost don't know where to go anymore to get back to the life that we thought we were creating for ourselves and for our children on this planet. Tomorrow's God gives us a roadmap back to those wonderful days by painting a new opportunity for us in the tomorrow of our experience. By the way, we're talking with Neil Donald Walsh here on KLAY 1180 AM. My name is Kevin McDonald. Suzanne Kincaid's right there. Neil Donald Walsh is on the phone. Suzanne, do you have a question? Uh, yes, I just wanted to bring up that uh, the beauty of the books is that they give us hope. They give us hope and they give us uh, direction and guidance that is honoring of everyone, of all cultures and all diversities. It's beautiful. So uh, tell us a, a bit about the hope that the book provides. Well, it is, a, it, it is a statement of hope. You're exactly right. It says, first of all, that necessity is the mother of invention and that humanity is losing patience with itself and that the time is coming very soon now. We're not talking about 20 or 30 years from today. This process will begin soon. In fact, it's beginning even yes. as we speak on this, uh, on this program, that, that the process has begun by which humanity is beginning to look at itself in a truthful, honest, and uh, self-critical way, in the highest sense of those words, and saying to ourselves, you know, there's another way. There really is another way. And we can create life uh, differently on this planet if we all just get together uh, and share our highest thoughts about it. And so we're seeing that happen now. We're seeing a, really a cultural movement all across the world. And it's sweeping across the globe. And it is transcultural. It is transgender. It is transpolitical, that is, that it, that is, it stands way above the political process. Uh, it, it is uh, transnational, it stands way above national identity. 
uh, and it is uh, uh, trans-religious. That is, it stands way above the religious differences which have been dividing us. It is, it is truly, it's also transgenerational. For the first time, we are seeing 78-year-olds agreeing with 18-year-olds and vice versa about <laughs> some of the things that we need to do uh, to change our collective reality on the, uh, on the morrow. We're discovering as we go down the road that, that what we've been doing doesn't work very well for the last several thousand years and that we really need to get back to, and we would like to get back, I think more and more people would like to get back to the simplicity of what life could be and, and to make it work for everyone on the planet. Because the Internet, and you're right, with, with the 24-hour news channels and with the Internet and all the information that we have coming at us now, it never long ago would have mattered to us on a day-to-day basis that 30,000 people are dying of starvation every day. Isn't that, the, isn't that the number, Neil? I don't know the exact number, but I can tell you it's very, very, very high. I know that 400 children are dying every hour of starvation. And what the number of, a total number of people is, uh, I don't know, but it's way past anything that's acceptable uh, in the human experience. But the problem here, Kevin, and the reason these things occur and are allowed to occur, the reason that Darfur uh, in Sudan, in western Sudan, could occur, where, where uh, thousands and thousands, many, many thousands of people, uh, up to a quarter of a million people have died, and over a million people have been displaced from their homes in that genocide in Darfur. The reason that stuff like that can happen on the earth is we truly have forgotten who we are. We have forgotten and, and completely lost touch with the reason and the purpose of all of life. We really do imagine that it's about uh, our physical reality and our physical reality only, that it truly is about get the grades, get the diploma, get, get the job, get the, the promotion, get the office in the corner, get the girl, get the guy, get the car, get the house, get the stuff get the bigger house, get the smaller apartment after we retire and get rid of the bigger house, get the kids off to college, get the grandkids going, get the disease, get old, get sick, and get out. (laughs) Now that puts it into perspective, doesn't it? We're talking with Neil Donald Walsh. We need to take a real quick break, and we're going to come right back with more. If you'd like to give us a call and you'd like to talk to Neil, you you can right now. 584-1480 is the number. He is an incredible speaker. He is very gifted, and you need to give us a call if you have a question. We'll be right back after these messages. Please stay with us. Eleven eighty KLAY, your conversation station. And welcome back to the Kevin McDonald Show right here on KLAY eleven eighty AM. We have the distinct pleasure of talking with Neil Donald Walsh. He is on the uh, phone with us from, I believe, you're in Ashland, Oregon today. Yes, sir. That's right. I live in Southern Oregon. It's a wonderful place, and I'm very grateful. You know, I had the opportunity of visiting Ashland when we went to uh, Jimmy Twyman's uh, Peace Conference, and I have to tell you, that is the most incredible town I've been to in a long time. It reminds me of taking a page right out of, like, 1968 and and going back to a simpler time and to a place that was a lot more uh, uh, fun. Lively. Lively and fun, and, you know, everybody was friendly, and you could... Roll down your window and ask for directions, and people didn't look at you like you'd lost your mind. It's you know, which is so much more happens today, and I think that's what we're all beginning to yearn for: is is a to live in a much simpler, much more loving, much more kind, maybe human kindness, joyfulness in our lives. And and how do we get there? I mean, we seem to be so far down the road the other way. 
Well, I think it, the answer is we have to get reconnected with the purpose of all of life. We have to get back in touch with who we really are, what life is truly all about. The, the point I was making just before the break is we have gone, we meaning the, the human race, humanity has gone so far afield. I mean, there are individuals who are still inside the, inside the lines, but we, we're, we're so far now outside the lines. You know, it's one thing to color outside the lines. It's another thing to go all over the page and, and just forget what the picture was supposed to be about. And that's what humanity has done right now. We're just, we're just coloring all over the paper, and we've, we have forgotten what the picture is that we were trying to create here. And the picture is not a very pretty picture, the way we're now creating it. it, it things are starting to turn pretty ugly, and if, you know, this has gone uh, way past artistic license, right straight into disaster. Mm -hmm. So if we don't yeah. rearrange our understanding and rearrange our... Let me give you an example of what I mean when I say rearrange our priorities, rearrange our understanding. Just, just to give you one example, in, in 2003, last year, the world's richest countries spent $60 billion, not a small amount, uh, on uh, uh, providing assistance to the world's destitute countries and to the world's poor, providing assistance in the form of education and even some basic things like food and health care and, 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 and uh, poverty assistance and so forth to help, help those countries uh, uh, get, get themselves back on their feet. $60 billion was, was sent to those countries for that purpose. In the same year, 2003, the world, those same countries spent a collective total of $900 billion on defense, wow. leading the president of the World Bank to note somewhat dryly that if we simply changed our worldly priorities, we wouldn't have to spend the smaller amount on defense. So mm. it, what, would happen, see, what would happen overnight if we just decided to spend $900 billion providing education, health care, poverty relief, job training, uh, and other upliftment kinds of uh, uh, programs and activities uh, for the world's people, we wouldn't have to even spend $60 billion on defense. But we're, here we are uh, in, a, in, a, uh, in, a, in a world, in a global community, where 225 of the world's richest people hold more wealth than 3 billion of the world's poorest people. That is, 225 individuals on the planet hold more wealth collectively than half of the world's population. And when you mention that to some people, they say, yeah, uh-huh, so what's the problem? Yeah, uh, wow. That's so, okay. So, yeah. uh, and, yet, and yet if we're wondering, you know, if we're wondering uh, why the world is the way it is, why we have to have metal detectors to get into synagogue on the weekend, why, why we have to have metal detectors to get into grade school, for heaven's sake, uh, in Chicago, if we're wondering why the world is the way it is, much less what's happening outside the borders of this country, where it is really terror-stricken more than once every three years, but once every three hours, if we wonder what's happening, all we have to do is look at what we're doing to ourselves, mm -hmm. at the kinds of the kind of life that we have created for ourselves on this planet, where two percent of the world's people hold eighty percent of the world's wealth and resources. That, and that's just one example. I, I won't go uh, on anymore about that because, again, in America, this is tough talk. In America, people actually do say, uh-huh, yeah, well, what's the problem? <laughs> well, it's that, it's that king of the hill mentality that, that we it, all, it, you know. It, it, it's an idea that, that because they, they, uh, we, we are deluding ourselves because we've worked so hard to get where we are, and Americans have. There's no question about that. But because he works so hard w w to get where we are, we imagine that everyone else can do it the same way. Just work hard, buckle down, you know, nose to the grindstone and shoulder to the wheel, and you'll get to where we are too. But in fact, 
what most Americans are too blind to see is that now that we have all this power, the 225 people who are in those positions of power have made it virtually impossible yes. to level the playing field. Yes. And if we think in our naivete that the people in the world's underdeveloped nations have the same opportunity that we had 200 years ago and 100 years ago and 50 years ago, then we really are naive. Mm -hmm. In fact, the system now precludes yes. those people from virtually all of the opportunities we have. Just to give you one simple example, you can't buy a prescription drug in Nairobi for less than, you know, two months' pay. Wow. And because the corporations who own the prescriptions will not make those drugs, even generic versions of them, available uh, uh, at, at a price that those people can afford. Yeah, and so okay. we have people who, do, who, who cannot go to a health clinic in India because the price of going to that health clinic is more than they can afford. Uh, attendance at the health clinics that keep people uh, healthy and alive in India has dropped precipitously in the past year, we are told by the World Health Organization, because the people there cannot afford the cost of a, of a monthly visit. You know what that cost is? What? Five cents in American money. Five cents? We have got to get it. We have got to wake up and get it. Wow. This is what's happening on our planet. This does not make me the world's most popular speaker because nobody wants to look at this. Well, you know, and that's what I'd like to bring up, Neil, is how can people be the hope of humanity? If people agree that there's got to be another way to live life on this planet, that it's not about uh, just some of us, but that it's really about all of us, that it's about uplifting the experience of the entirety of humanity and not just 5 or 8% of it, if people agree with me on that, and many people do, then there are ways that they can become involved in on-the-ground opportunities and activities to change the collective reality. And one of those ways uh, is a movement that has really started all over the world now called Humanities Team. Yes. And the Humanities Team movement, I am uh, proud to say, is moving on the ground in cities, towns, and villages all across the globe, from, uh, from Seattle to, to, to Portland, Oregon, to Darfur, to, to uh, Japan, Korea, to India, indeed, in Pakistan, all over the place. Humanities Team now has people on the ground who are working uh, in very real and viable ways to shift the prevailing notion of things. And the, the mission of Humanities Team is not to bring relief uh, so much in terms of physical activities, although there is some of that work going on. But we notice that those kinds of relief activities have always gone on, and they're ongoing, and there are countless organizations that are doing that work even today. But there is no organization in the world that is working at the fundamental level of humanity's basic beliefs. See, until we change our beliefs, that is, the undergirding, underwriting, foundational thoughts that we have that create our collective reality, until we change those, that reality is going to keep reasserting itself and re-emerging no matter how many band-aids we try to patch on the wound. And so if you don't shift, for, to give you one striking example, if we don't change the ideas, the fundamental beliefs of the people in the Middle East, there will never be peace between Palestinians and Israelis, okay. because even if you patch together some kind of a short-term treaty or short-term short peace pact, what happens is at the end of six months, if not six weeks, the whole thing falls apart, because people are coming from a belief system 
that supports and generates the kinds of behaviors that destroy peace and harmony on the, on the planet. So what has to happen is we must have a worldwide undertaking to shift and to create a new belief system for all of humanity. That's what humanity's team is about. It is, it is about to, uh, working in villages, towns, and cities around the globe, from the United States to South America to the Middle East to the Far East and everywhere else in between, and saying to people, look, do you think the problem might be how it is we are thinking about each other, how it is we are thinking about God, how it is we are thinking about life, how it is we are thinking about this whole process that we are standing by and watching destroy us, even as we are trying to save it. And maybe what we need to do is alter our most fundamental understandings about why we're here. And that's the work of Humanities Team. It's extraordinary work. It is already reaping considerable dividends, and I believe that because of the work of Humanities Team, uh, that we will see, in fact, a shift on the ground in the next, if this is not short-term work, in the next 20 or 30 years. We're not going to change these kinds of things in the next 15 or 20 months. But as John Kennedy said back in the 60s when he decided to send the man to the moon, he said, this is not going to be accomplished in the first 100 days, nor in the first 1,000 days, but let us begin. And so it's, one has, it's when one has a long-term vision with the short-term energy that it takes to ignite that vision and to fuel that vision long into the distant future that a change can be made on the planet. And we, those of us in this country and in other well-to-do places on the earth, and believe me, this is one of those, obviously this is one of those places, the United States is, and in, in Western Europe and so forth, we are the ones who are going to have to lead the way for the rest of the world's people who do not have the resources or the will or the inspiration to do so because they truly are involved in moment-to-moment, day-to-day survival. And so, of those to whom much is given, much is asked. And it is time now for us to step forward and to take the lead once again, as America has done many times in the past, although we're not doing it now. No, we we're not. Re- we need to reassert ourselves and reclaim our position in the world. We're talking with Neil Donald Walsh, the author of Conversations with God. His new book, Tomorrow's God, is on the shelves. Go get it. Also, when we come back, we're going to talk about how you can get involved with Humanities Team here in the Northwest and also the World Organization. And Suzanne Kincaid is going to help me with that. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Kevin McDonald Show. You're listening to KLAY, like the man just said just a second ago. We're talking with Neil Donald Walsh. Also, Suzanne Kincaid is here. We are uh, um, talking about tomorrow's God, and also Neil as as a public speaker and all of the things that he's done in the last you know, ten years or so to help with humanity. And Suzanne, um, you are part of Humanity's team here in the Northwest, are you not? Yes, I'm just so thrilled and honored to be a part of that. And as I understand, we're in uh, 50 countries now, is that right, Neil? That is correct, and in fact, we'll be uh, in uh, Istanbul, in uh, Turkey, in uh, October, with our worldwide uh, country coordinators meeting, where people will come from all of those 50 countries for our annual uh, Congress and talk about the year ahead. Yes. If, and this question is for both of you, I guess. If somebody uh, is listening us, to us and has decided that, that, that they would like to contribute to making the planet a better place for us to get back to what we... For us to determine who we really are and to really follow that path, how can they get a hold of, of, of the program and access its resources, Neil? Well, excuse me. <clears throat> I'm sorry. 
But they can simply go to humanitiesteam.com, uh, humanitiesteam.com on the Internet. It's the fastest way, and most people have a computer these days, uh, or can get to one in the library or, so, or someplace, and, uh, or to at an Internet cafe, and to get, on, get online. And uh, once you get on that website, you'll find a, a many, many ways to get connected with us and, and become more actively and more, more directly involved in the process. Let me just explain uh, very briefly uh, more specifically what we're doing. But the problem in the world today is that we've been approaching our challenges at every level except the level at which uh, the challenge exists. We think that it's a political problem, so we try to solve it with political means, and it doesn't work. We think it's an economic problem. We try to solve it with economic means, withholding money from it, like sanctions, or throwing money at it, like uh, welfare programs and so forth. And it, it, In the long run, it doesn't work. The problem doesn't go away. We think that it's a military problem. Okay, we just drop bombs on it or fire bullets at it. That doesn't work either, as we're finding out, much to our dismay. Once again, we keep learning the same lessons over and over again. And that is because the problem facing the world today is not a political problem. It's not an economic problem, and it's not a military problem. <clears throat> Those are just outfalls of the real problem. The problem in the world today is a spiritual problem. It has to do with what we fundamentally believe about ourselves, about life, about God, about the whole shooting match, so to speak. A bad choice of words, given what was happening right now in Iraq. And so what we need to do is notice that the problem exists at a level that we are unwilling to face. It's our spiritual lives. It's our most fundamental beliefs. What Humanities Team is doing is giving people an opportunity to get reconnected first with their own deepest spiritual truth and then to share the wonder and the miracle of what is really so about each other, about life, and about God with everyone whose lives they touch, not proselytizing, not going out and preaching, but just simply making the information available and accessible uh, in, a, in a very simple way. And so we have study groups and support groups and various kinds of activities, and then there are spiritual activist activities that grow out of that, that people can do in their own community, like voter registration drives and other kinds of activities that allow us to place on the ground solutions that are practical in everyday life. If people do want to know more about that, and it is taking place in the Seattle area, in the Tacoma area, and all over the, all over the country, really, if people want to know more about that, they can simply, as I said, get online at humanitiesteam.com and see where they fit in, because this is the great call now that life issues to life itself. Life is calling out to life. Yes, yes, I see what's happening, but who will be on humanities team? Yes, wonderful. And um, one of the uh, uh, programs that you have available through the Conversation with God Foundation is the Books for Friends uh, program. Could you talk briefly about that? We have uh, received requests from many, many hundreds of people, probably into the thousands at this point, all over the world. Many of them are incarcerated. They're behind bars. They're serving uh, their time for things they've done against humanity. Uh, and uh, But they are trying to re rehabilitate themselves. Others are, are, are not incarcerated, but they're living in very meager uh, economic circumstances. And they have heard about these books, these extraordinary books that have changed people's lives, the Conversations with God books. And maybe they've read a passage or two, or someone's passed along a copy, and they'd like a copy of their own, and they simply can't afford it. The Books for Friends program is a, is a worldwide outreach that allows people to purchase books and then to send them to us uh, and and uh, we in turn send them out to people who write to us saying 
I wish I could read a copy of this, but I just don't have the money. I can't afford it, or I'm behind bars, and, I, and I, I, it would take me six years to get the money together to get one. Is there any way that I can get a copy? And so we, we also uh, accept financial contributions from people, and then we buy copies of the books in large quantity from the publisher at a, at a deep discount and turn around and, and hand those out and give those away to people uh, who would like to get a copy. So the Books for Friends program is a worldwide outreach that responds to people who are asking for this material and can't afford to get it by normal conventional means. And if they wanted to contribute to that, how could they contribute to that? Well, they could just go to uh, www.cwg, that stands, of course, for Conversations with God, cwg.org, and then click on the book, Books for Friends button, and, and, uh, and right there, or in any number of ways, uh, they can find on that website how they could make a financial contribution. Or actually, what we really like is when people just go out and buy books. We, that's, that's our favorite thing because uh, then there's no question what's going on here. Lots of times people are hesitant to, to, to take their money and send it off to another organization. But if they were to go to a bookstore and say, okay, I'll buy one for myself and two for the folks who can't afford it, uh, that's an enormous statement. You take those other two books and wrap them up and send them to us, and our address is on the website at cwg.org. And then we have a, a, a worldwide coordinator who actually stocks these books in a garage someplace or in some of the store, storage space and sends them out as they're being requested. And uh, that's what that's about. So we, we really invite people to buy one for yourself and buy one for an unknown friend and send it to us, and we'll make sure it gets into the right hands. Well, interestingly enough, Suzanne Kincaid is one of those coordinators. Are you not? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm new to become the coordinator for the U.S., yes. I'm very thrilled and honored to do that. It's, it's amazing the things that you do, Suzanne, to help humanity. And, and I know Neil's work is a major part of your life. Very and, much. And the books have had profound impact on your life. Absolutely. You know, Neil, one of the things that, that, and we're running out of time here, doggone it, but <laughs> one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, you know, um, be it on Sunday or whenever you listen to a, a religious talk show or whatever. Everybody wants to know what God wants. Well, I understand that you've got a book coming out with that title. So yes, the, book, the book is called What God Wants. It'll be out in March, and it looks at the whole question of what humanity imagines God to want and what humanity uh, and what God really does want and how we deal with that, that, uh, that truth. And it's because it's a truth that's very upsetting to some people, uh, and yet it's freedom-producing and opens up a whole new vista of theological and spiritual discourse and understanding and can change behaviors on this planet uh, all over the place. So What God Wants is a very, very, very important book. Uh, I'm very excited about it. I just, in fact, I just sent it to the publisher yesterday, the final completed copy. Uh, it'll be uh, published in, in March of uh, 2005. And you'll need to come back and talk about that in depth when that comes out. Will you do that for us? I will certainly do it. Oh, that, w that would be wonderful. And uh, go ahead. Uh, uh, well, and also I just wanted to let the listeners know that if they would like to get more information on all of Neil's work as well, you can access that information at the Kevin McDonald Radio Show. Yeah, it's, it's www.thekevinmcdonaldshow.com. If you go to the book page... And, and you click on the Conversation with God um, um, icon there, 
you will get access to all of Neil's work that are available through Amazon.com. So you can peruse everything. I recommend highly, if you're not familiar with the work, so you start with Conversations with God, book one, and move forward through it because it's, it's, it's remarkable. It, it's, it's a remarkable piece. And one of, the, one of the things that inspired me the most, Neil, is the paradigm. And I think it's the paradigm that we need to switch. And you tell me if, if you agree with me that... that in our world, we have a tendency of thinking that God is in control of us and dictating to us what's going on, when in fact, isn't the reverse more so true? Yes, in a manner of speaking. We're not really dictating to God what's going on, but we are in fact creating the reality that we are experiencing both here and for that, for that matter, by extension, uh, throughout the universe and throughout the world that we touch. That is exactly right. And that's the biggest misunderstanding that most of humanity has about its relationship to God. We think that we are uh, God's subjects in the sense that God is telling us what to do and issuing us orders and commands uh, and requiring us to behave in this way or that way. And in truth, uh, there is no such requirement. The idea that requirement exists is an illusion. God has given us true free choice, not just lip service free choice. And we are not using that free choice because we are not using the power of God in our daily lives. And one day, I want to come on your program and talk about something very simple, very elementary, and yet life-changing, which is how to use the love and the power of God as a daily instrument in your life. Oh, that would be wonderful. We would love to have you on the show there. Uh, I just wanted to let the readers know that actually Tomorrow's God is a great book to start with if you uh, can only get one book because it has a, it's a recap really of the uh, first three Conversation with God books. It's a wonderful book to start with. Neil, you are so wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and sharing all this profound information with the world and everything that you do to uh, make the world a better place. It's just... Well, you're a, very kind. You're yes, very kind to say those things. Well, it's the truth and it's such an honor and a pleasure to know you and to be able to be a part of this. So I encourage everybody to go to humanitiesteam.com as well and find out more information or get that information from the Kevin McDonald Radio Show. And Neil, we'd love to have you on again to have that next conversation as well. Kevin, go ahead. Would you like to wrap it up? Oh, yeah. And, and, and by, by the way, I just wanted to ask you because, Neil, you were a nationally syndicated talk show host at one time in your career. I just wanted to ask you, how am I doing? Am I doing all right? <laughs> you're, you're doing fine. <laughs> thank you for thank you for mentioning that. I had a good time when I was in broadcasting. I did that for a long time. It was a wonderful part of my life. Well, I, I have to tell you, you are a wonderful speaker, and your your vision and your mission is is in line with what we would like to do. And and uh, I wish you much success in getting the word out all over the planet. And and because that's the only way that we're going to change it is to get the word all over the planet, so the people one person at a time, can change their thoughts about what's going on and what we need to do, right? What's funny, Kevin, is that everyone wants to do that. This is what I call the silent agreement. No one is disagreeing with you. It's just a matter of uh, people stepping out and choosing to actually activate that agreement in their daily lives. So that's, that's, that's the, it's the same process that any organization. I don't care what's political organization or what the organization is. It's about activating people, getting them up off their couch to the voting booth or to the polling place or to the church or to the synagogue or to the social services center, getting them involved in the process of life itself. That's what it's about, getting out of your own little tiny world and looking to see what is it that I could do with the additional hour a week of my life to change the world at large. All right, everybody, it's time to get off our butts and we got to go vote. Neil, thank you for being here. You need to come back. I've totally run out of time. You've been great, and, and bless you, and have a wonderful day. And do something nice for somebody, everybody. That's all you got. Just 
random acts of kindness. Do something great. Suzanne, thank you. Have a great day, everybody, and we'll see you tomorrow. Neil, again, thank you so much. Thank you.